Kia ora, everyone, and welcome to Tekupu, or The Word, with me, your host, Christopher Von Roy. Thank you for joining us today on the 14th of December 2021 for episode number 15 with the super amazing Jetem Heyer, um, children's book author, Substack writer, and a successful owner of a copywriting business. Um, Jetem wears multiple hats. She also creates guided meditations. She's a mindfulness enthusiast, and she's recently written an absolutely beautiful children's book called The Little Tiger with the Big Temper. Um, this was a really fun talk to have because I've known Jatem for a while now, and so we spoke very candidly about several things. And yeah, there were a couple of technical difficulties which happened um, with this podcast every now and then, and Jatem was a super pro in yeah trying to re-answer certain questions and yeah deal with the technical glitches that happen because I have because I live in an area that has a low internet coverage point out in Golden Bay, so and Jatem is up in Auckland where there's obviously incredible Wi-Fi reception. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoy it and yeah, have a listen. She's got some super pointers for parents struggling. Oh, that was the other thing I didn't add. The other hat that Jatem wears is being a mum of twins which yeah for any of you that have had one child at one point in time and realize how monumental that job is imagine that being doubled so yeah hats off to Jitem for finding the time and to her partner for giving her the time and space to be able to record this podcast like I was so yeah happy that she could make it finally and yeah I hope you enjoy it so without further ado this is Jitem Hare Hi, Jatem. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I'm so glad you found the time finally. We've been talking about doing this podcast for a while, and I know you wear all these hats. You're a copywriter. You own a small business. You're an incredible writer. You're a children's book author. You're a mindfulness teacher, and you're a mother of twins. So for you to give us an hour is absolutely fantastic, Jatem. So I just want to say straight off the bat, thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, thank you. This is actually quite delightful for me because I work from home by myself. So um, I don't get that much adult communication during the day. So this is quite a treat, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) So Jatem, for the listeners that don't know you, like I always do with my guests, I try and get them to go into a bit of an origin story. Like, how did you end up where you've ended up now with wearing so many creative hats? How did Jatem come into being? That's a very good question. I always um, listen to when you ask uh, to your other podcasts, when you've asked people this question, I thought, gosh, what would my origin story be? And it really um, threw me for six. But do you know what? I think my origin story is basically every challenge that's ever happened, everything that has put me in a bit of a spin has resulted in who I am today and my and my purpose as well with the mindfulness stuff. The other thing is um, I've always loved writing. I actually, I remembered the other day that I first launched a magazine when I was eight years old at primary school and it was a music. 
it was a music magazine. Oh gosh, I I'm, I cringe now when I think how dreadful it must have been with its hand-drawn pictures, and it, it probably said things like "Backstreet Boys are awful," but luckily Kylie Minogue is awesome. Probably had articles like that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I've always been somebody who enjoys communicating through words and and through the print medium. Yeah, so from eight years old to now 43 next week, um, yeah, wow. here I am. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say you gave your age away by mentioning Backstreet Boys, but you just had <laughs> <laughs> yourself right there. And so now you've progressed and you've obviously you've taken this, you've always been into mindfulness-based learning and you spent lockdown fundraising for a children's book that you'd written um called the little tiger with the big temper how did that come about well i probably have to go back a little bit further so i have always been into mindfulness um in terms of I'm an introvert and I'm very introspective and a very deep thinker to the point of probably being an overthinker. And prior to having children, I actually was practicing mindfulness and meditation on a, on a pretty regular basis. I was living in the city and I used to catch a bus pretty much right outside my apartment and it was a 22-minute bus ride. So I did a 20-minute meditation on the bus with sunglasses on so nobody could see. I had my eyes closed. So I, I was really into daily meditation and mindfulness practices for a, a few years. And it wasn't until falling pregnant um, and suffering from prenatal depression that I really heavily threw myself into it. And it really became much more of a, of a way of life rather than a, oh, I'll just do this on the bus ride in the morning. Hey, are you there? Yes. Can you hear me? I'm, I, I can hear you. Um, that's happened to me and my sister before. Where we've gone on the phone and she's literally talked for like 10 minutes and I wasn't there. I thought you can were we... being very quiet. Take it away, Winner. Okay, oh. so I guess the origin story has to, has to go back um, a little bit further than the recent lockdowns or even really writing the book. I think it's quite important to talk about how I came to mindfulness. Um, so yeah. as an introvert and um, definitely a deep thinker, somebody who's quite introspective, um, I've always been interested in thinking about my thinking. <laughs> I used to meditate on the bus on the way to work. So this was long before children. And it was a 22-minute bus ride, so I would do a 20-minute headspace meditation on the way to work. And it was nice. It would set me up for the day, um, make me feel quite positive and relaxed um, to kick off, you know, what was quite a stressful job. Um, I worked in adverti advertising at the time as a copywriter. So that was a, a morning practice, but it wasn't anything... I wasn't really doing too much in the way of mindfulness, I guess, other than just my usual sort of introspective thinking on things. Then when I fell pregnant with the twins, um, yeah. I, I did suffer from prenatal depression. A lot of that was probably connected to my hormones. Um, so what they don't tell you about, everyone tells you that being being pregnant is wonderful, but it's actually, it's pretty hard work. Um 
It certainly yeah. was. It certainly was for me. So my hormones were triple normal at some point. They actually think that maybe I had triplets in there, but I ended up with twins. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so the triple normal hormones uh, were pretty intense. Um, I was getting really extreme emotions. Um, I felt super volatile. But on top of all of that, more than anything else, I wasn't living in the present. I was living in the past. I was yeah. gr- I was grieving my my not my single life because I was in a relationship, but my kind of carefree existence, my pre-child existence of I'll stay out all night if I want dancing and sleeping all next day. Who cares? I've got nothing to worry about, you know. And and I was yeah. living in the future feeling anxious. What if I can't cope? I'm not going to be able to cope. Of course I won't cope. All those sorts of ruminations and those awful thoughts going round yeah. and round my head all the time. Mindfulness really became key for me throughout that pregnancy. I actually haven't talked about this at all. <laughs> so I'm, I'm probably going to pause a bit while I'm thinking. This is not what I talked about just before. Yeah. We lost that. We're, we've moved on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I definitely found that mindfulness and meditation took on a whole new meaning for me during that first trimester where I did experience prenatal depression. Um, Now, I didn't experience it for the second and third trimesters, whether that's to do with, and it could be both, hormones leveling off, or whether it was to do with the impact that mindfulness and meditation made on me. And I think that played such a huge part. And that's where my passion really, it became... A passion and a mission rather than something I dabbled in, I suppose you might say. So I was really conscious that my babies were swimming in cortisol inside my body. My I was flooded with stress hormone all the time. Like, I don't want to go into too much detail, but I was in a bad way for a while. Um, it was hard to even take a yeah. shower, crying all night just a horrible, horrible way. And, you know, it's it's also really hard to talk to people about this because every, there's this real expectation from society that a mother should be deliriously happy when she's pregnant. It's the best thing yeah, ever. Yeah, I was just thinking about that as well. Yeah. Mm, mm. But on top of that, people out there, even strangers in the street, say the most horrible things to pregnant women. So it's like, oh, congratulations, you'll never sleep again. Uh Okay. Oh, well, you can kiss goodbye to a social life and, and, you know, just the most awful things. And so that was actually compounding the anxiety that I was secretly dealing with during this prenatal depression. And I just, I didn't even want to speak. I actually hid my pregnancy. I didn't, even though I had twins, I successfully hid my pregnancy for about 19 weeks. I just didn't really, didn't really pop. So I just, yeah, I, I was able to hide it for a a period, but it was rough. I was um, excusing myself from work to go on a lunch break to sit in the car and bore my eyes out every day. So just, Tam, had you experienced depression before you had the prenatal? Had you had an intense bout with that type of, you know, (sighs) Good question. Nothing nothing really like that. Nothing really like that. I, I had what my art teacher at school described as teenage angst. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but nothing where where you had the problems going in the shower and all that, and getting your clothes ready and that. So. No, no, nothing to that extent. 
And that's when I really felt like I needed to take control of the thoughts that were in my head and the way that I nurtured myself, the self-compassion that I showed for for myself and and to stop living in the past or in the future and just anchor myself in the present, which is obviously what mindfulness is all about. So... So when you had your first dabbling with the mindfulness, can you rem- was there a teacher or someone that had helped you, guide you along that path? Or is it just something you picked up naturally? So I actually reached out to maternal mental health uh, on the advice yeah. of um, a whole bunch of amazing supportive parents in the multiples group on Facebook, actually. And I, I just met post in there and said, look, I'm, I'm pregnant, first trimester, twins, not feeling good at all, really need some help. And people said, reach out to maternal mental health. So they kind of took me under their wing yeah. and I went, I went to weekly sessions there, which I guess was a little bit like counseling and a little bit um, of learning mindfulness. So there was a lot of breathing exercises and things like that. And I, and of course, yeah. that, it all came flooding back to me then. I thought, I know all of this. I can do all of this. Yeah. I can do this every day. And so I did I, every single day, morning and night. I meditated to Jack Cornfield, who's one of my heroes in um, the mindfulness yeah. scene. Yeah. So I did a meditation in the car before work and then one before bed. And yeah, just every time I observed a negative thought coming into my head, which was always, I can't cope. I'll never be able to cope yeah. with twins. I would just reframe it. So, you know, it becomes something like I've coped with a lot of challenges in the past before and I will rise to this one as well. You yeah. know, and it just um it's not say you're not denying your reality. You're not saying that that you're not scared or that you're not feeling anxious about what's ahead, but you're just actually reframing the situation. And that's something that is is super powerful. Yeah, so that was the Jack Cornfield, that was like a guided meditation where you listened to them. Is that right? Yes. Well, this is going to sh- reveal how long ago that actually was. It was in a car <laughs> with it was in a car with a CD player and it was on a CD. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and it was a really That's lo-fi so recording as well. You could hear his chair scraping across the floor at the beginning. And I, I just really loved that. It's quite cool. It was um, felt like I was. Oh, in so the you room. actually liked the part. Yeah, yeah, cool. And so you've now taken that on board and I have benefited from that as well because you've now done a couple of these recordings as well. I feel like I've lost you now. No, no, no. I'm still there. We can hear you. Oh. But you probably couldn't hear me. No, I couldn't Um, hear you. (laughs) So I was saying that I wanted to thank you for the work that you've done because like Jack Cornfield did for you, I hadn't really ever done meditation either until I tried the Insight Timer and did your guided meditations. So it's kind of like you've passed that on. Did you hear that? I did. Thank you. That's beautiful. Um, okay. Yeah. And I'm a friend sure. of mine in New York City also benefited from it. So I wanted to extend that even further. So I sent that to my friend Lisa and she really loved it. So uh-huh. you... For those people, we're gonna I'm gonna put it into the show notes as well how they can access it because I didn't even know this app existed, but it's phenomenal. It's really nice how accessible all of all of this stuff is now, and you know it's one of the blessings of technology, even though there are lots of downsides to it. And uh, the other thing I was gonna ask Tim, if you're all right talking about this, is there 
is that a phenomenon? Because you said you were part of this group called Multiples. Is that a Facebook group for parents expecting um, twins or triplets? Yes. Is that why yes. it's called Multiples? Yes. And is it a phenomenon that's known that women who are expecting multiple babies have a higher than normal um, prenatal depression? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, So actually the statistics around postnatal depression are pretty scary in the multiple community. So um, I I read some 5% oh man multiple multiple mums experience postnatal depression so i think that really actually is a, a really good question that you asked and a great point to raise one of the ways that i prepared myself for having twins was by reading lots um researching lots and when i read that statistic it petrified me because i was already in a state of severe depression at that point so yeah. the thought for me that it might continue on past the birth was something that was you know really really frightening scary yeah Hmm. well then and also having to be a mother at the same time as being in that state but you didn't experience that or did you no because you had your no i i didn't um there is a thing uh called the baby blues which is a hormone again a hormonal thing it's a hormone crash that occurs about i think day four or five after giving birth where um you do get super low. And I remember at that point sort of staggering into the um, the hospital TV room and just plonking myself down and, and thinking, oh my gosh, I can't do this. I can't do this again. You know, it's oh. all that I can't, I can't thought. And then, you know, yeah. after a few, few minutes of feeling sorry for myself, I was like, well, you have to do this. Your little darlings are waiting for you. So get up, walk back and carry on. I knew that was coming. Again, my my research had told me to expect the baby blues around that time, and I I was prepared for that. Amazing. And so this is something that you then, the mindfulness kind of helped you through that area and then helped you avoid the postnatal depression that was so prevalent in that community of mothers. So did you, so you continued doing the meditation? Is that right? Uh, yes, yes, I continue to meditate. Um, and mindfulness has become something that um, the various tools in the toolbox of mindfulness, <clears throat> um, they actually really help on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, it's it's using the RAIN exercise. Um, I don't, you probably haven't heard of that. I'll have to, I'm, I was actually just about to record a meditation no. about on that. So RAIN stands for recognize. So you recognize what you're feeling, you allow it, you investigate it with non-judgment and with curiosity, and then you nourish or nurture. And so that's really useful at a moment when we're feeling triggered by something. You know, our triggers can actually be really useful at revealing any unhealed trauma or any anything that needs work. It lets us know, or is it actually completely I've got left to give i guess these are all really practical tools that we can just use in our day-to-day lives can you go through what rain stands for again so it stands for recognize so you recognize what the experience or the emotion is you allow it to fully come in instead of going oh gosh i'm not allowed to feel this way no you just allow it you know if we see a plant that needs watering we're going to go, look at that stupid plant. It needs watering again. Christ, 
you know, this is a joke. I'm not going to water yeah. the bloody plant again. That plant needs to get up and grow some legs and go and water itself. We think that plant needs watering. You know, we have compassion for other things, but for some reason it's really quite hard for people to find compassion for themselves. Okay, so after we've recognized the feeling and we allow it or we accept oh. it, we can then investigate it. And that's that's the that's where the gold is, I think. That the, the last two steps of this are where the gold is. We can just take a few minutes to go, okay, so I'm feeling angry. What does this feel like? <clears throat> Excuse me. What does this feel like in my body? Okay, I can feel that my jaws clenched, my fists are clenched, I, I'm feeling really hot and clammy. Um, have I felt this way before? When was the last time I felt this way? Is there a pattern? Why do I think I'm being triggered by this? Okay, so my kids are screaming and shouting, the volume's really loud. Why am I being triggered by noise? Is there something in my past? Yeah. You know, it's super interesting when we investigate in a just a really compassionate and curious way. And then the final step is to nourish or nurture. And, <clears throat> and that's a really nice one as well. You know, that's when we can actually, if we don't identify our issues or our traumas or what our needs are, how can we meet them? And if we're not meeting our needs, we certainly yeah. can't meet our children's needs, you know, because then we're working from a constantly depleted state. So I am sort of bringing it back to parenting, but I guess that's my, you know, I just know that parenting is so tough. Yeah. So yeah, that's when we get to nourish ourselves and think, okay, what can I do for myself right now? Should I go and take some calming breaths? Should I go for a quick walk around the block? Should I have a mindful cup of tea and just really sit quietly? Should I put some music on and have a dance? Should I have a long bath? If we take the time to just fully be aware of our experience, we have so much better chance of working through it and he, you know, feeling better in ourselves. And, and instead of reacting to others, uh, you know, our partner or our children, we can, we can take that time doesn't even have to be a lengthy process, the rain. That can be done in a matter of minutes. Sometimes I shut myself away in the toilet and yeah. and I'll just, I'll do the, go through yeah. that process and then I'll come out and I'm like, okay, yep, I'm actually, I'm feeling pretty, and I can own my shit. I can say I'm feeling pretty stressed right now. I actually haven't, I've realized I haven't had yeah. a break all day. I'm just going to go for a quick scoot around the block. I suppose it's something that you get better at as well with time. The more, like with anything that you practice, Oh, absolutely. And that's, I guess that's the thing about mindfulness is none of the stuff is actually hard. The difficulty is in actually doing it. Um, yeah. So, and, and remembering uh, it when you're in that state. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, and that, it does come with time. It does come with time. And this is. I was going to say I could tattoo it on my hand. I was just thinking about tattooing rain on my hand, <laughs> just the word. Lindsay Lohan actually tattooed, got the tattoo. I like her actually, before you she, say anything bad about but her. I wasn't, I wasn't going to say anything I bad at all. I, she, okay. she, got the, she got the tattoo breathe on her wrist. And I suspect she was probably oh, going go. through something like this. She probably was thinking, yeah. I actually just want a reminder to take yeah. a breath. I mean, I expect she's had a pretty stressful life with her addictions and her yeah, fame she, and all of the stuff yeah. that comes with, you know, being a celebrity, which pretty horrible, I think. Yeah. And so, you know, that was probably quite a mindful thing that she did. But yeah, she got so much crap for that. I remember people saying, oh, gosh, Lindy, Lindsay Lohan has to be reminded to take a breath. <laughs> you know, no, but, but we well, all need to be reminded. Well, that's one reason I like her. 
Exactly, because she faced all of that stuff, all of that criticism, and she actually turned out to be quite an amazing. The reason you don't hear anything about Lindsay Lohan anymore is because she's um, consciously uh, she's avoiding it all now, and she just she grew throughout it. I don't know. I saw an incredible interview with her, which you just saying that I'm I'm going to put that in the show notes as well, where she just really showed her wisdom and her, you know, a little bit like what you'd said, how you'd gone through all of these, you know. Mm. intense experiences in your life and you just learn from that and I think these are the people like you that we need to listen to because you've managed to make it this far and you've got now tools that are available and I think you know like you said it's easy to deal with these things but to remember to do them when you're anxious when you're short of breath when your heart's doing weird things that's the difficult part to and that's why I'm like tattoos are amazing in that sense because you just immediately look at a word ah okay now i need to do that you do it as second nature you know like you said you take yourself to the toilet and that takes an incredible amount of um self-knowledge and ability to introspect which you had from a young age anyway and i think just for other people that don't necessarily have that it's good to hear someone like you talk about that and especially also expectant mothers and I, I remember speaking to my sister when she was pregnant with her first child and she was scared shitless as well and had similar reservations as you like oh I'm never gonna have you know free time again and, and I think just for you to vocalize that is so important for people to hear and I bet you there are a hundred percent of the mums are going yep finally someone said it, it was, mm. it's been terrible but society made us act like it was a great experience because Hollywood and all these like, you know, mm. you know, there's, there's these expectations around being pregnant. And, you know, I didn't know that that was a phenomenon that, you know, that the hormones double and triple depending on the amount of, you know, babies you've got growing inside you. But that makes sense, obviously, mm. from a, you know, purely biochemical point of view. So thank you for being so candid, Shatem, I wanted to say. Oh, no problem. Um, and. Yeah, this takes me to the book that you wrote. So obviously, when your boys were of a certain age, they themselves went through their own little temper, temper tantrums, and you learned of ways to deal with that. And yes. you recorded that for the world. So you want to take us through the inspiration, the origin story of the little tiger with the big temper. Can we have that, please? Yes, we can. I was trying to think um, about what the epiphany moment was. And I remember it actually started before the quote, and I'm using my fingers here to quote this terrible twos, which most parents will recognize as being the time where the ch children start to really sort of stamp their feet and throw their toys around the way they want things to be, which is totally fair enough. Their whole lives are dictated yeah. by us. That's actually got to be pretty shit. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I, I actually, <laughs> I thought. So I fully respect children for going, do you know what? I want the other color cup, not that one. Um, you know, it's kind of cool. <laughs> I love kids. They're so, I have so much admiration for them. It's but, like their personality comes through then. Yes, definitely. But that, but that is a real challenge for parents because I think up yeah. until that point, they've just had these little babies where they can just sort of lift them up and carry them around, them around and do whatever they like, you know. And suddenly you've got these independent little people that are, they can be quite ferocious. So I remember, it's a horrible story actually, um, but in the interest of being candid again, I the boys were 18 months old and they started to 
they started quote the terrible twos early you might say yeah and um one of them used to he'd be quite aggressive to his brother and it was it was his way of getting my attention but it was it's really hard for me to see one of my boys getting hit or you know a block yeah. thrown at him or what have you and so i actually went to a parenting course by a very well-known parenting expert uh, I was a seminar I suppose you might say and she said oh just pick him up and put him in timeout." and I said really at 18 months old and she said yep absolutely I thought okay gosh well she's the expert I'm, I'm just the twin mum what the heck do I know so um I actually tried it a few times and I remember um picking this boy up I sort of don't want to name names so that's why I'm saying this boy um yeah, yeah. Uh, even though they're my children but I sort of just feel like I want to respect them by not when they listen to it in 20 years <laughs> they'll thank you for this exactly is that weird I don't know but anyway we'll carry on <laughs> no. so I picked him up and I was wearing socks and I sort of huffed and puffed like that's it I'm taking you you've you've been beating up on your brother again I'm taking you to time out and you can go and stay in your cot and I, I flip and slipped on the floor and it was like what with him in my arms and it's it was a bit like a Aww. you know you know when you see a cat falling from a tree they twist I love cats they twist and turn themselves so that they land on their feet well it's a bit like a mother falling yeah. with her with her baby in her arms she will or a small child um I felt it happen and I I grabbed him as tight as I could and I landed so that I landed on my my own sort of back and he was absolutely fine just sort of looking up at me like what are you doing is this a game wow. and I just sat oh. on the floor and I I sat on the floor and I cried and I thought oh my gosh this timeout bs is not working it's not working yeah. for him it's not working for me it's it's it wasn't giving me any sense of power to humiliate my child by putting him in a room when he doesn't have the comprehension to think, you know, oh, I'm in here because I've been hitting my brother. Because he just, that's not the way a baby's, an 18-month-old's brain works. So yeah. that was a real epiphany moment for me when I thought, okay, this is really flipping hard. I know I'm not the only parent going through this. I'm going to start digging deeper and I'm going to make this work and I owe it to my kids and I owe it to myself. So I started, I plunged into studies again. I studied positive parenting and conscious parenting and yeah. all sorts of readings on Buddhism and spirituality. And there's a brilliant book actually, which I adore called If the Buddha Had Kids. So those are some recommendations for parents that want to dig a little deeper into the stuff themselves. We'll put them in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. And it came to me one day that there was an approach that I could take that would blend mindfulness with positive parenting and with conscious communication. And it was a, it was a, a simple conversation, I guess, that, that could be a coping strategy for me, but it was also a neuroscience approved way to help a child when they're experiencing big feelings because they are not able to regulate themselves we have to regulate with them when they're little. And if we don't, it just, you know, it just leads to generational trauma. 
By the yeah. way, and me, me saying this stuff, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty for any of the choices that, that they've made. Um, you know, you, you actually have to let that stuff go as well. I have to let it go, the fact that I tried time out because a parenting expert told me to. I'm, I'm not cool with the fact I did it, but I was desperate and I tried it. Didn't work, moved on. So, yeah, you know, this is yeah. where we as parents need to look at a more positive way of doing things and move on in a way that benefits ourselves and our children. Then I thought okay, well, how in the heck am I going to communicate this? And, and if we're, if it's my job as a parent to role model this positive behavior and to role model mindfulness to my children, but I'm so energetically connected to them that I'm freaking out when they freak out, how, how am I going to do that? How am I going to get it into my head? And I was like, well, I need a story or something. I need something to remember. And then I thought, oh, well, a children's book, because it's kind of a wasted opportunity. Like we're reading to babies and kids all the time. So why not learn from it at the same time? Because we always talk about what we need to teach children. Oh, that child needs to learn this, that, and the other. Hang on a minute. We're the ones that need to do the learning. And I'd go further than that and say that we're in a great unlearning because it was not that long ago that people used to say things like, Stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. Or parents oh, yeah. children should be seen and not heard. No, actually, children should be seen and heard because they're actually our greatest teachers. Those boys have yeah. taught me so much more about myself and about how to be a better person. That's why in the in the start of the book and one of the you know the intro pages, I say, thank you for helping me and become a better person. Um, because my, it's my children that have done that, not me. I just realized with this book that this was an opportunity for me to be able to teach children and parents at the same time, because if we, it's all well and good to teach children mindfulness, but if the parents aren't modeling that behavior at home, how are they ever going to learn to do it as part of a lifelong skill? Yeah, makes sense. That was quite so how did you go about it? writing the actual... That was perfect. <laughs> so how did you actually go about writing what you, did you draw upon, like, if the Buddha had kids, other books, or did you just go, I'm going to start this from scratch, I'm going to write it. I mean, you're a writer anyway, but not every writer can be a children's book writer. You know, that takes a special skill set as well. You need to be poetic. You need to make it sound right. It was very strange how the story came to me. Um, when I write, I never actually make a plan and I never sit down and go, I'm going to write about this today, unless it's for a client, which is a whole other skill set. Yeah. When I'm writing for myself, such as, you know, blog posts or these stories, that it's like I'm channeling, to be honest. They kind of just come out of me. So I remember the day that I wrote it. I wasn't, I was actually feeling super tired and super sick. And I took an, a nap, which I never, ever do. And when I woke yeah. up from this nap, I thought, now I know how to talk to my kids when they're freaking out. <laughs> and so I, <laughs> I, I sort of, I wrote that down. I wrote down the ideal thing that I should be saying to them. And then I thought, oh, and here's what I need to teach them. I need to teach them to take a mindful pause and I need to, to, to teach them belly breathing. And then the story just came flooding out of me and... It's changed, obviously. So uh, the draft itself yeah. was down, down in a couple of hours, but I actually spent about a year editing it. So it originally had yeah. a parrot rather than a gibbon, but I thought, oh, no, from an illustration perspective, I felt like parrot birds couldn't be as expressive as 
primates, you know, so. Um, yeah. Your children reminded you of tigers? But... <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, yes. You did? Because well, you yeah. I'm the like little tiger I, I just, cubs. I just thought everybody loves all kids love tigers. I, uh, you know, that was a, a little bit of a marketing thought in my head. So, you know, um, I yeah. just thought what what I wanted to take this book to the world because it was something that I wanted to want from the get go. I wanted all parents to kind of have this coping strategy because every parent will go through yeah. big feelings and they don't stop from ages two to four by the way they continue on through the teenage years you know at the moment I've only got five-year-olds but you know of course parents struggle with self-regulation of with regulating their children or help teaching their children to regulate yeah. because we were never taught to no and you want to take this message to the world which is amazing because the you you collaborated with someone in the northern hemisphere as well to make the beautiful pictures in it. Uh, yes, my very talented illustrator Tanya Maneki. She's done a wonderful job. Um, she's in the Ukraine, I think. Um, and so that yeah. was again that's one of the joys of technology as well. That you know being being able to connect on that level with somebody overseas. So I did everything myself in terms of wrote the book wrote the illustrator brief, um, mapped out the des the design of the book and then briefed her on the illustrations. And I'm so thrilled with what she came up with. Yeah. And then you also, I mean, this is a crazy thing to tell. Like most children's book authors, they'll write the story and then it, everything gets done for them. They All they really have to do is become a public face and do a couple of interviews or something. But you also ran what I had witnessed is one of the most successful children's book crowdsourcing campaigns, which was, yeah, amazing. Of anyone I've ever known, and I've known a lot of people to crowdsource, not necessarily children's books, but the way you did it was incredible. And yeah, do you want to talk us through that experience, why you had that idea and how that all panned out? Oh, I think my hair stands on end a little bit when I think about Kickstarter because... Um... <laughs> I was about to say, am I going to be touching a subject that we Because <laughs> um, you did was... it during a pandemic when the postal services around the world... Yeah, yeah, there's been a lot of hurdles. I, again, I researched a lot um, and studied, you know, what makes a successful Kickstarter campaign. I knew that I needed a video, but I've done everything on my own on a shoestring budget, um, you know, yeah. in my downtime when I wasn't copywriting. So, um, yeah. oh gosh, the, the Kickstarter video shoot was the funniest thing because at the time, I think the boys were so little. This is how long it's taken. The boys were only about three, so it was a couple of years that I actually filmed the video and um, oh my gosh, they were total monkeys. I, I, I'm pretty sure the videographer was like, I'm never having kids. <laughs> they was stripping Amazing. off. Oh my gosh. They were, one of them was totally going totally wild, stripped off his clothes, um, leaping off the couch. And, and, you know, I'm trying to make it look <laughs> like, like they knew. Oh, I'm trying to pretend like I'm a civilized mother who's got everything under control. And I was like, this just this just freaking sums it all up, right? Everything is out of control all the time. <laughs> but no, it worked. It, um, it worked. So I think my, I set my goal at 5,000 and I, I raised about 9,100. And then I think I continued on using Backerkit, which links with Kickstarter which enables yeah. you to create a kind of a pre-order store to continue to make sales. 
So in the following, I think, three or four weeks after that Kickstarter, I probably raised another 1,300 or so. Um, I'm not very good with numbers, as you can and tell. And they but also they labeled your project as Kickstarter themselves as projects we love. Yes. Which is in itself incredible. Like, But again, you because you're so calculated and such a perfectionist, you knew that was going to happen. I remember you telling me months before it happened, that's what I'm going for. Yeah. But you aimed your campaign to, I mean, incredible, Jatem. I was so impressed. Well, I knew that it had the potential to be a project that we loved because I'd seen that they supported a lot of Kickstarters that were in the sort of mental health and well-being sphere. But what I needed to do to make that happen was to make it look super professional. So I had to have, you know, the words were there just so and the images um, and the video, of course, as well, which um, my videographer did a lovely job of. So, yeah. Yeah. So you had everything prepared there. Um, but that was, and at that the same was a time, wonderful moment. Yeah. That was such a wonderful moment. Like, I, I know. Because it took a few days. I think it was about a week or so into the actual Kickstarter when they they sent yeah. me an email saying, and I, I sort of came running out of the bathroom like on cloud nine, leaping into the air. And I, it was like a scene from a movie. I, I leapt into my partner's <laughs> arms, literally leapt into his arms, and he like swung me around the lounge and like, oh, it was one of those. I swear I put out my hands and like bluebirds landed on my hands and I was like, Mary happens for a moment. <laughs> Yeah, that's so good. I don't think Even though the actually, funny thing was the stress that would come from that moment because it then took off and, yeah, you ran into all these obstacles with how much it costs to actually post stuff, which you didn't realize at the time when you called, you know, created pricing. So you've yeah. juggled a lot to make this happen. So yeah. if there's any backers listening, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm yeah. I'm, wear, I'm wearing some of the costs of that, unfortunately, but that's fine. It, it's it means a lot that these people backed me and believed in the project, and so I was never going to turn around and say to them, "You can't have your book." And I ended up being able to set through the backer kit system. And this is a tip for anybody that does want to do a Kickstarter as well. It was really useful because I was able to set up a tip jar through Backerkit and put out an email saying, hey, it's been a bit of an error. <laughs> My printer didn't send the books to the USA. Uh, so they've come, they've been shipped from Singapore to me and then they have to be uh, shipped from New Zealand off to the States and then off to the destinations from there, the warehouse in the States. This is kind of an epic roundabout and it's costing a fortune. You know, can anybody give me a tip, please? <laughs> and a few yeah. people did. So that was Amazing. really lovely. Yeah some kind people yeah. out there so and so for people who want to order it now it's obviously going to take a little bit of time but they can still place orders through your website is that right through sassy yes. mama so if they go to sassymama.co um then yeah. there's a shop there which will direct to the shop which is where people can purchase the book as well as I've also created other tools. So I created an audio book to go with the book because I know that us parents don't actually really feel like reading books all the time. <laughs> and it's really, <laughs> it's really useful. Um, so let's say you've 
um, your child's nervous about a first day of school or something, you've got that audio book in the car. It's accessible through SoundCloud. So you can play it on your phone and your kids on the, on the drive to school and you, your child can actually practice the belly breathing along with the characters in the book. So it's really nice. And then I yeah. created a whole lot of teacher's tools as well. So posters and mindfulness guides and guides to mindful meltdowns and things like that. So, yeah. Amazing. I created so I, a lot of things. <laughs> I've got quite a um, following in the teaching community because I myself did a teaching degree. So there are a lot of teachers out there listening, not necessarily in the primary school, but they all know each other anyway, the early childhood mm. education. So you've got like a whole pack that you will supply schools and kindergartens with yes yes i can do that so at the moment um it's still fairly early stages with the store i did have a few issues with my website so i've had had to now create a shopify store which has been an absolute blessing i kind of wish i'd done that two years ago but anyway we live and we learn (laughs) yeah um but Um, (laughs) yeah i'm going to put up some teacher bundles so that it's really clear um what they what's useful for them there's some really cool stuff actually there's mindfulness calendars to come and there are there's a mindful week guide which um, just kind of gives um, structure around discussions that teachers can have with primary school kids and you know kids can take notes on how they're feeling and what they're doing and there's a bit of everything in there like gratitude and kindness as well yeah so i think once everything calms down and the traffic light system eases up and we're all vaccinated in this country or it's under control i could see you traveling around and you're you'd have quite a unique um sort of author's tour in that you could be going to primary schools and reading it and you know taking teachers through um, you're probably thinking in the back of your head, like, uh, Chris, <laughs> you've no idea how much work I've got already with my children. But could you imagine that being something that you could potentially, if that works, once the kids are a bit older, I guess? Uh, yes, definitely. I don't know about yeah. traveling around the country, but I've certainly, Auckland, at least. certainly yeah. planned to do library visits and primary school visits and daycare visits. And anyone that would like me to come and read the book, I'm more than happy to do that. I've also created coloring pages as well. So the kids can sort of follow up, have some follow on stuff there and do some coloring in and then yeah. um, the teachers can talk about some of the mindfulness activities. Amazing. So that's something that you could potentially also do over Zoom. I mean, it's like they could book you and be like, could you have a reading time with Jatem? And they'd put on the, I suppose they want to shy away from using screen time, minimizing it. Uh, Something you don't really like. You know, we all, I think we all try because um, you definitely see a downward spiral on the behavior front. Um, after children have been watching too much TV. And of course, during the pandemic, we, you know, lockdowns, we all had to do what we had to do. Um, yeah. I I didn't do any work on this book during lockdown because I decided to just take the time take to... Take care of yourself, yeah. Uh, well, just to take care of the kids, really, more than myself. But, you know, we just did trampoline days and long lots and lots of walks. <laughs> but then they'd still be yeah. talk, like, okay, guys, here's some popcorn. I need to sit you in front of a movie while I do a couple of hours' work. Um, and that's when I yeah. discovered that children's movies are quite short. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, come on. It's a market niche there. <laughs> there is a real <laughs> exactly. niche there, like... 
That's two hours, for goodness sake. Where's the Lord of the, Lord of the Rings children's <laughs> movie that's three and a half hours long? Exactly. Um, yeah, great. This is a feedback right there for the movie producers of the world. Mm-hmm. And so I guess, yeah, speaking of the pandemic and lockdown and all of that, like there is this, you know, I recently, I did that podcast about my own experience with mental health and I have had people write back saying, um, even though people didn't necessarily go through psychosis or that extreme, it's, I still kind of addressed something that everyone is avoiding a little bit. And that is that we are at the moment in the midst of a massive mental health crisis worldwide and anxiety epidemic. And along with a viral pandemic, we're dealing with this sort of mental health spiraling out of control. And that's, I guess, where something that inspired you as well to start that um, your meditation readings and the information that you've got on your website. Mm, absolutely. So, yeah. you know, you've hit the nail on the head. It, it is classified as an anxiety epidemic in the Western world. And it's extremely worrying because it's affecting children younger that are younger and younger now. Um, and so it, I get pretty fired up about this topic. I'll warn you. <laughs> um, the, the statistics in New Zealand are absolutely appalling. We've got the highest teenage suicide rate in the OECD and the EU countries. That's like 41 countries. We, we top that. It's twice as high as yeah. the teen suicide um, stats in the States and almost five times that of Britain. And so people, wow. keep, co- people keep coming out and saying, oh, well, the government needs to put mon- more money into counselling, um, you know, but I still think that approach is still an ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. Because if we can teach children, like right now, my children are five years old. They're so keen to learn. They ask questions about everything. Why is the sky blue? Why is grass green? So how about we start teaching them, hey, here's how our mind works. Our brains are Teflon for positivity and Velcro for negativity. You know, sometimes you can think something. It's, It's so true, though. And sometimes you're going to think something negative. And if you can catch yourself thinking that, and you have the ability to to reframe it and you can you can accept that experience and then you can learn your self regulation tools it's just it's so empowering so i actually um was reading the other day that during the level 4 lockdown last year youthline dealt with a 90% increase in care and protection matters where children are at risk of serious harm from others or ha- who have parents who can't look after them they also recorded a 23% increase in suicide risk. It's just... Just in that age cohort. Yeah, and it's just really... So, and here's, you know, here's another one. A Life Education Trust survey that was taken this year. Uh, principals, teachers, and deputy principals at 2,500 primary and intermediate schools found that anxiety was the biggest issue in New Zealand schools, with 90% of schools saying it was a concern. You know, Holy so shit. I just want us to do something now to help our little children while we're eager to learn because this take this stuff takes a lot of practice. I've been practicing it for years. It's still not – it's getting pretty close to second nature, but, you know, 10 years in. Okay, so, right, if we start with children when they're four years old, by the time they're 14, they could have 10 years of mindfulness practice. They could have 10 years of meditation behind them. And that's where I want, that's the shift that I want to see in the world rather than, 
oh dear, well, somebody's 17 and this is how they're feeling now and you have to relearn everything. And also, to be honest, I've seen quite a few counsellors in my time and I'm not poo-pooing counselling at all. Please don't take, take it that way. But I just think that we can ask ourselves, how does that make you feel? Having someone to talk to is great, but we can actually learn so much by talking to ourselves, just going within. And, connecting. And, yeah, really connecting with ourselves. And our children are facing so many things that are going to be huge. You know, we've got global warming. We've got meth epidemics. Yeah. We've got everybody wants to be famous on TikTok, peer pressure. Yeah. I, mm, yeah. It's it's a lot that they're going to be facing. I think it's also counseling is a little bit, um, like you said, it's the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. It's too late if it comes to that stage. It certainly um, can be. And it's be such an interesting when you mentioned um, how willing children are to learn, like it's that I've never thought about that either. They're constantly asking these questions. So they want to know about these things. And I think if you can, if you can teach them these things, it'll get anchored in their brain for the rest of their life. Like what you said about rain and all that, if you know that from a young age, and I think one of the most beautiful things I Instagram was one of your boys, you sitting with him on the park bench and he's like telling you, okay, mama, let's do some belly breathing. And he's like doing the belly breathing. And, and then he's like, oh, can we do it before I go to bed as well? Like, mm. I was just like, oh man, if that can just be, you know, extended that type of thinking, you know, of course there's still going to be little shits and they're going to act up, <laughs> but at least now you've got this little thing that you can go, you can go belly breathing and it actually means something to them, you know? And, you know, when I say they can be little shits, we can be little shits as well. Like we don't ever outlearn or outgrow that stuff. Like I've had anxiety when I was a little kid and I still have it at 45 now. Right. So it's something where, and I'd never, you know, I was too embarrassed to tell anyone when I was a little, when I was like 12, because I didn't know, I thought I was doing something wrong. You know, mm. when I'd wake up and I'd be on the floor and I'd passed out from not breathing enough. I was too embarrassed to even tell my own mother. You know, I was like, ugh, I'm doing something wrong here. I'm not doing life right, you know? Because as a kid, you're like constantly second guessing yourself, you know? And like you said, that whole Teflon and Velcro, that's even more pronounced when you're a young child because, you know, you're surrounded by your peers who all seem to be doing the right thing. And, and, and like a medium like Instagram amplifies that, doesn't it? The whole, oh, look how amazing those kids are doing or how beautiful that girl is. And I'm never going to look like that. Um, mm. And that's, yeah, I, like you said, it's so much harder being a child now or a young person than it ever was when we were younger, you know, mm. especially that pressure that we get from society like those beacons and and so I think what you're doing at the moment couldn't come at a better time and like we really need to amplify these messages in a big way so thank you so much Shatem for you know dedicating your life to this stuff and really wanting to get the message out there and I just remember that from the very beginning of you doing that whole kickstarter when you made, it wasn't that you wanted to make money off of it. When you got that money, you were like, oh, now I can finally bring this out. And so it was the motivation for you was to help ease the life of other parents and make the life of children more 
you know, more friend, life friendly, I guess, to yeah. deal with life's ups and downs. Yeah, yeah, because there's always going to be ups and ups and downs. Nobody's happy all the time. But, you know, yeah. that's part of the joy of it. There's a silly old movie called Vanilla Sky that was actually quite cool, but it got panned by critics. And yeah. there's, a li- there's a line in that movie, you can't have the sweet without the sour. Amazing. And I actually really like that. It's so true, you know, because if you're having a down moment, that's when you get to experience the up moments. You know, the only, the only way from rock bottom is up. We've, we've got to have hope in our hearts. And I really think that... Okay, thank you so much, Jatem. We're reaching the hour mark now, and I know that you've got a lot of things to do and your kids to take care of. So, But what I wanted to say is that you don't have the ebook version of your book up yet. So once that happens, which will be next year, I would love to have you back on because there's a lot of things that we can still talk about. And... Um, yeah, I just wanted again say thank you so much for A, taking the time to talk with us and B, all this in a really testing and trying time for humanity. So, um, yeah, can you give us a little couple of gems just to end this out and then I'll let you go? Well, I think what you said right there is um, testing and trying times for humanity is, is really, it's quite true. And at times that can feel overwhelming. You know, I'm I'm that person that will spontaneously burst into tears because I remember that there's only 350 Sumatran tigers left in the world and wake at 3 a.m. worrying about global warming and what that means for our child, my children. But we always have to remember that we have love and we have hope. And so that's why I guess as a parent, for me, it's, It's just my children knowing that they can talk to me at any time and that I've always got their backs. I'm not really doing this very well, sorry. I can't do things twice. It's one of my You're awesome. Uh, And you've had to – I just need to say I'm going to keep this – I'm going to keep this in there (laughs) because you've done so well, Jatem. You've, like, managed to brace the ups and downs of this podcast. I just – so and I'd like to add that you've also got this incredible Substack that you've started. So you not only do stuff for children, you've also got this amazing repository for your articles that are going to all be flooding in there slowly and surely. So even ki- people who don't have children or aren't interested in parenting stuff, you've got a lot for adults to consume over and above your mindfulness meditation work that you've done on the app which i'm going to have in the show notes but you've also got this you're an incredible writer thank you adults so i i'm gonna be putting that in there as well and yeah big shout out you dealt with the you're the guest that's had the most technical difficulties (laughs) so you've been done amicably well and thank you for um your patience so it's a good proof of that this mindfulness stuff works and that you didn't curse me or say I've had enough Chris. No, not at all. I've really enjoyed the conversation. I must admit my hands are slightly clammy. (laughs) It was a bit intense. I think it's like nearly three hours of technical issues, but we got there in the end mostly. Um, So hopefully people gain something from this. Amazing. And so even though with all that in mind, would you maybe come back next year? I have a much better setup. I promise. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to. There's always so much to talk about. And I'd love to do um, some more around sort of tips and tricks and just um, maybe just little quick snippets of things that parents can go away with. 
just for yeah. commu- communicating with their kids, things like that. Yeah, and Tip if people are interested in that, I'll I'll point them. Yeah, I'll point <laughs> them in the direction of your website where you've got a lot of these um, amazing tips and advice and toolkits for being a parent. Thanks so much, Jatam. Have Thanks a lovely day. And you too. Bye. Bye. Kapai, everyone. And thanks for listening to the whole podcast. And yeah, all apologies for a couple of technical glitches. I think you'll agree that Jatem was an incredible guest. And yeah, so we're going to have her on again once she brings out the ebook version of her brilliant children's book. Um, yeah, please go check out the show notes and see the links of where you can support Jatem and you can order the book. And yeah, I hope a, a couple of things that she spoke about really hit home for you especially parenting during these difficult times and yeah her contact details will be in the show notes as well so yeah please feel free to contact her she's got a lot of mindfulness based resources for children and adults and yeah her website sassymama.co is yeah an absolute brilliant resource for anyone who wants to spend time learning how to meditate or yeah teach their children how to meditate which yeah is another big thing so yeah once again thanks so much to Tim for coming on the show you're absolutely brilliant and a proper professional to all the other podcasters out there i can only recommend Jatem to come on she's an absolute delight to talk to so yeah well done um coming up next week for the break i'll have carlos gauna who is uh also known as the Malibu artist. He runs a super successful YouTube channel where he's a professional drone pilot and he's captured more footage of sharks and especially great white sharks off the coast of Southern California than any single person on earth. He is an absolutely amazing human being. And um, for those of you that know the show and know me, you know how in love I am with sharks. And so that was a real treat to record that podcast so yeah thanks for listening to jatem and yeah feel free to contact her till then maori ora much love everyone <laughs>